Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Welcome, welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm talking to Kate Sevilla on the topic of how to work without losing your mind, which sounds just about what many of us need right now. She shares why having Beyonce's work ethic is harming our mental health. We talk about toxic work cultures and how to handle them. And we get into the very juicy topic of boundaries, which let's face it, so many of us struggle with at work and why we struggle so much to set boundaries. And she gives some really amazing advice on how we can do that. This is really an episode for you if you're somebody that is just not really interested in hashtag hustling or hashtag slaying and has realized that these sort of things are actually just not working for us in terms of our mental health. And you're looking for a different approach. You're looking to not lose your mind whilst working. And this episode really shares loads of practical ideas and little tidbits to help you to shift your mindset around having a much more sane and calm working life. So are you somebody that has a very loud inner critic? Do you find yourself speaking to yourself in negative ways in your mind? If so, I want to invite you to come on over to my website, karma-u.com forward slash confidence and download my free confidence affirmations. What we tell ourselves is so incredibly important. What we tell ourselves shapes our beliefs. It shapes how we feel about ourselves. And this free MP3 helps you to retrain the way that you speak to yourself so that you become your own best friend, your own biggest cheerleader, rather than somebody that's constantly beating themselves up. So head over to karma-u.com forward slash confidence and get that free download now. So let's get into the interview with Kate Sevilla. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Can you share a little bit about what it is that you do and and how you got to where you are today? 
Sure. Yeah. So I am a writer and journalist, and most of my career has been uh, really focused on digital content, basically. So I kind of started out, I moved to the UK when I was uh, 20 years old, and I worked for the UK's first blog publishing company. And I've worked for lots of digital publications like BuzzFeed. And then I transitioned into working in tech, so still working in in content, but then doing that for companies um, like digital startups and uh, Google and MSN, and then kind of worked my way back to uh, kind of what my roots were, which is like online publications. So I was the editor-in-chief at the online website for women, The Pool, and then that sadly collapsed uh, about (laughs) four months, three months into me working there. And, you know, I had had a really kind of varied, interesting career with lots of different experiences, um, some of which were were really difficult. And I felt like I needed to kind of process all that and kind of channel that. And I always wanted to write a book. So this last January, my book, How to Work Without Losing Your Mind, was published, which kind of feels like the culmination of all of the kind of things that I've, I've learned and and worked on. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm here now has been kind of a... Uh, a, as they call a squiggly career <laughs> of, of working on the internet and, and writing and kind of always being kind of on the, the cusp of kind of like the new stuff for, for content online, all of which eventually just kind of broke me. And then I needed to write a book about how hard it all was. <laughs> yeah. Can you share a bit about that? What was your experience of, you know, your work stress or things that happened? Can you share anything about what you experienced? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I worked for myself for a while and I think always in the back of my mind because I didn't actually go to university. I don't have a degree. I kind of had a, a baptism of fire when it came to kind of digital content and social media. I just kind of learned and I kind of happened to be online at the right time when all that stuff was emerging. But I, I kind of always felt that there was this right way of doing things. And when you're working for yourself and kind of running your own things, it can feel like winging it sometimes. And you kind of, I always had in the back of my mind, well, there's a proper way of doing things. You know, there's a a proper way that magazines know how to do things online, uh, that newspapers know how to do things online. And so when I kind of came to this point in my career where I was like, you know, I would kind of like to make some money (laughs) rather than constantly uh, struggling to make, to work for myself. And so in like 2013, when I went to go work at at MSN for Microsoft, I kind of had this weird transition of learning how other places do things and learning that actually there's not a one specific right way of doing anything, even though I think a lot of times people very much want you to think (laughs) that there is that. So I kind of constantly had this this internal struggle of knowing my kind of gut instincts and trusting myself compared to uh, the right way of doing things and this idea that there's a, a correct way of, you know, succeeding of, you know, not just running an online publication, but of kind of working and, and behaving. So I think I spent a long time. So from like 2013 to you know 2019 working at various places learning, but then also realizing that when you go to work, you kind of bring your own baggage to work at the same time. (laughs) So a lot of the things that you might be experiencing, it's not that they're not happening. It's just that you might be perceiving them and experiencing them in a different way. So I found that some of my own emotional baggage was kind of 
not getting in the way, but maybe making things a bit more difficult or kind of clouding my perception of um, how much I needed to be taking some of the stuff that was happening at work to heart. And it was eventually causing me, and a lot of these situations I was in were quite stressful. So it wasn't like I was just being dramatic, but I think sometimes if you don't have the right perspective on things, it can make a really difficult situation even more difficult and even more stressful and even more anxiety ridden. So I kind of really had to, you know, along the, the same lines as having a professional journey where you learn more things relating to your job. I also uh, learned a lot about myself and my own psychology and the way that I respond to stress um, and how that kind of relates to my my personal life as well. So it's all, it's all interconnected basically. But um, yeah, yeah. I think having perspective on how to deal with these things is um, key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I suppose our baggage, it's, it shows up in every relationship and you know yes. it comes to the surface when things get stressful or pressured it's often those moments when all the stuff that we kind of are dealing with kind of comes to the surface and yeah I suppose a work situation or if you're running your own business you know it's mm. yeah a, a kind of a, a training ground for trying to yeah deal with that stuff or stop it from holding us back in a way. Absolutely. I wanted to, to know from you because I suppose this book coming out during a pandemic work has changed dramatically for lots of people. I'd love to know what's your take on how our working lives have changed in the last year and what kind of impact that's that's had on people. Yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely just devastating <laughs> in so many ways and it's but also it's been positive in so many ways which is kind of hard to reckon with, but I think you know, if you have been able to work from home Granted, no one wants to ever work from home like this in this situation, particularly if you have children without childcare and having to do homeschooling ever again. But I think that ultimately it has shown us what our priorities are and what matters to, to a lot of us in the long run. Um, I saw this illustration on Instagram yesterday that was a Venn diagram and one side was work and one side was life. And it said pre pandemic. And then the next kind of slide of that was in a pandemic. And it was the, the work circle of the diagram that had basically just ripped up and eaten the life side. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people, that's, that's how it has felt. I think from my perspective, I, I hope. I mean, this is the question in itself, like how has changed, how has work changed during this pandemic is multifaceted and there are so many answers. And I could go into like the reports that show that women have been so much more affected by the pandemic and our jobs have, you know, altogether disappeared or have been completely sidelined. But I think kind of the more personal side of it that I can probably more easily speak to is I think that hopefully this means that employers will finally kind of give in to the people who have been asking for flexible working, who have been asking for remote working, who have needed to work different hours because of the way that their brain works, the way that their creativity works. This idea of bums and seats, nine to five, showing up to an office five days a week, commuting for hours and hours a day, being shoved on these, you know, uncomfortable, hot trains, which feels so disgusting and weird now, particularly um, without masks. 
I hope <laughs> that we never, ever, ever have to go back to that exactly how it was. So I, my hope is that from a employee's perspective, even if you work for yourself, any sort of worker who has been able to work from home or spend more time with their families or just have a bit more flexibility, even if it hasn't felt like positive flexibility because how serious the pandemic has been, that it means that our own priorities have shifted and that we will stand up for ourselves a bit more and ask for what it is that we want and kind of shift things from kind of just focusing around our commute and around our working lives and around what our manager wants to what do I need? What does my family need? What do, what do I want? How can I make, you know, obviously I still need to make money. Obviously I still need to pay the bills and and support yourself or a family, but how can this be more balanced in the future? That is my, my big, big hope. And I hope that despite how devastating everything has been and how negative and overwhelming things have felt that for our working lives and for our home lives, that it means that a, a big shift will occur that couldn't have happened otherwise without this, this uh, awful moment in time. Sounds so awful when you describe it, the, the bums on seats and the commuting and the yeah. sweating on the train and all yes. that stuff. When we, when we really consider what we've done for so long, yeah, it does seem quite inhumane actually to sort of make people do that. And yeah, I really hope that things can, can change. Yeah, me too. I wanted to quote something that you wrote in the book. So it's a Beyonce quote that you mentioned <laughs> quite early on in the book. She said, I'm a workaholic and I don't believe in no. If I'm not sleeping, nobody's sleeping. And yeah. your kind of take through the book is kind of that, this attitude of kind of hustling and overworking is actually not, it's not cool. Can you share your, no. your perspective on this? <laughs> Yeah, I think um I think it's easy with your Beyonce to be like if I'm not sleeping, nobody's leaving. Um she but, sounds like uh, a terrible boss, honestly. Yeah, that sounds awful that. actually. I was like, sure Damn. Yeah. Yeah, Beyonce, don't don't do that. But uh yeah, so the whole girl boss hustle, you know, working, never sleeping, never taking a holiday thing. I think that that was has been glamorized both on a kind of tech bro Silicon Valley startup front, but then also the kind of watered down millennial pink girl boss branding of hustling and working as well. And neither, they're the same thing, just kind of gendered differently. And um, one is taken significantly more seriously than the other, I should say, but um, it all sucks. <laughs> like none of that is healthy. And I think obviously there are days and maybe weeks where our work-life balance will be significantly off due to a big project. Or if you're really excited about something and you're just kind of like, oh my God, I can't sleep because I want to, you know, get this down on paper. That is so much different to being completely burnt out by your job, working on someone else's expectations of what success looks like, or your mental health being completely off balance and feeling like you have to work like that. I used to work like that. I used to, you know, I did a 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift when I was at BuzzFeed. I was technically like the overnight homepage editor for the U.S. office, but then I was physically in the U.K. office and I wanted to succeed there. So then I would end up working you know, once that shift ended at 2 p.m., I would still be in the office until five sometimes. And then I had an hour and a half commute home and then I would wake up and do it all again. And 
that basically sent me to therapy, not the work itself, but that kind of complete unbalance in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what kind of like me made me realize like, oh crap, I should probably go back to therapy because this is really difficult. But yeah, I just, I, I don't think that that sort of working culture or idea of what success looks like is healthy in in any form. And I, I just really, really wish that, especially after um, the pandemic and all of us realizing kind of like, God, that sucks. And it's completely unattainable and unsustainable to work to work like that and that that's not what success actually looks like or feels like. I hope that 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 I, I feel like more people are talking about the importance of rest and the importance of uh, a more balanced life. But I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to tell if people just like to quote those things on Instagram and if that's actually going to permeate the actual workplace in our working environments. Yeah, I, I posted a couple of things recently kind of, yeah quotes and that sort of thing, talking about rest. And they were really popular. And it's still quite a novel idea, I think, for us that actually you don't need to earn your rest. You know, rest, you know, being unproductive isn't like a crime or something. It's like, it's so ingrained in us that it's like not okay to, to rest. And, and as you talk about in the book, the kind of the, the glamorization of the hustle and the girl boss. But actually, like, if you've, got IBS because you're putting so much pressure on yourself and you're running to the loo all the time or you're not sleeping and you're really grumpy. It's like, that's not glamorous at all, is it? That's the kind of the no. reality of it rather than this glamorous image. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, stress does horrible things to your body. Like you mentioned IBS. Like I had so many weird symptoms from like a six week long eye twitch from just physical stress. And so many people, so many women that I interviewed for this book describe like the different ways that their stress, burnout, overworking themselves affected them physically. And I think that we just have such a disconnect between our our bodies and our minds sometimes, particularly when it comes to stress and what our body is trying to signal to us that we, you know, you just don't pay, it could be weeks, months, even um, before you kind of go, oh, this weird physical thing, perhaps, perhaps this extreme, you know, working situation I'm in and stress under might have something to do with that. Yeah, I love that aspect of the book, actually. You interview so many different people who are sharing their stories about their own experiences. And it, it's so interesting to like, yeah, hear all those stories and understand what a problem this is, really. Yeah, that was really important to me to not just have this book be, here's my own personal experience of having a hard time at work and this is what you should do differently. I really wanted to because I knew just from my own experience of speaking to and working with so many different people and different kinds of people from different backgrounds and different industries that it's a real problem. And the more time that I spent like properly sitting down and talking to people from, you know, HR managers to, you know, other, other writers and just other people who have worked in, you know, pharmaceutical companies, like there wasn't anyone from an industry that hasn't been affected by this. Like, it was just so eye-opening to know that no matter kind of what industry someone was working in, what kind of job level they were at, so, so many people, particularly uh, millennial women, have experienced such, you know, extreme stress from work or burnout, whatever you want to call it. 
it was really eye-opening. And I mean, I talked to somebody in the book who had actually been diagnosed with being a workaholic. And there's actually like a workaholic anonymous like group that people go to. It has very similar structure to AA. And it, yeah, it was very, very interesting to to speak to people who had, you know, such extreme experiences with work stress. Yeah, really sad too. <laughs> kind of depressing that yeah. so many people have been affected by by this this kind of disease in itself. Yeah. Yeah, really it is. Yeah. I know you talk a lot about in the book, you talk about a toxic work culture. Yeah. Um, what does that actually mean? What what do you what do you mean by that? What sort of things did you had you noticed sort of speaking to people about what that what that was, what that looked like? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because it, it can look different and it can feel different for a lot of people. But I think overall, it's it's that feeling when you go into an office. It's the kind of practices and attitude towards working and timings and overall like accepted behaviors at a workplace. So it's the way that you feel when your boss walks in the room if the air is just completely sucked out and everyone's just kind of like, oh God, they're here. Like there have been so many places that I've worked where the working culture, I can't describe it, is anything else but toxic where you have, and a lot of times I think typically this is having a a micromanager or a manager that doesn't have a lot of emotional intelligence or empathy. And so they're, the way that they run their team makes everything feel really tense. And it's not okay if you need to work from home or there's no understanding if you've missed your train or your train was delayed and you, and you turn up late. It's kind of when you're the working place doesn't feel human or you're not allowed to be a human or, you know, maybe the exact opposite of that. If there's kind of no boundaries on people's feelings and everyone just kind of tells everyone everything and everyone is really close and in each other's pockets all the time. Like neither one of those extremes works. And I think overall having a toxic working environment means that everyone isn't treated as a, as a human being. You're not allowed to make mistakes. People are afraid. There's no psychological safety. People aren't, uh, they don't feel that they can't speak up. And whether that's, you know, having a problem at work or just having like a crazy idea, like there's no creativity because people are too afraid to speak up. That whole bums and seats thing. I've worked for some some people where they're just kind of like watching the clock and it's 930 and, you know, this person, this person aren't there. They're just kind of like, you know, already emailing them. And it's like, oh my God, we're working. Like, especially if you work in London, it's like, there are so many things that could have happened as to why that person is not here yet. And so many of which are not their fault. And the fact that anyone is like so stressed out, just trying to get to their seat at nine 30 now just seems completely bonkers to me because that's just such unnecessary stress. And it's so unnecessary to work in, a, in an environment like that. I was, I was talking to someone the other day and they were sharing about someone that they knew who was working from home for a big company and they track the mouse on their computer. And if the mouse doesn't move for a while, that kind of alerts the company somehow. So this person was really stressed because every now and then they had to make sure their mouse was moving, couldn't go for a walk or that sort of thing. It just sounded like awful. awful. That is, I know I've heard stuff, especially in the pandemic. I like, it takes my breath away that, People, not only that companies think that that's an acceptable way 
of working. It's like, what do you expect people to, to do? I, it completely blows my mind. I know I had not a similar kind of situation, but I did have a situation where somebody was trying to track how often I had logged into a file as proof as to whether or not I was working. I'm just like, how on earth, one, is that accurate? Two, is that normal? (laughs) And three, like, how do like, if that's the way, and that's the kind of environment we're expecting people to work in, who on earth could be productive? Like that completely eradicates any kind of trust that you would have between people. And I think, you know, the, the lack of employers treating their employees as adults and as human beings is a, is a huge, huge problem. Like you wouldn't do that to one of your family members or anything like why? Oh, so odd. That's so stressful. I'm so sorry that happened to someone you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I've read studies where they've, they've looked at giving people more freedom and actually people are usually pretty good yeah. if they're given unlimited holiday they take a reasonable amount of holiday if they're they're working six hours a day they're actually more productive than if they're working longer hours and that sort of thing so I'm sure that stuff doesn't yeah. doesn't work anyway no yeah if they have anyone like left working there after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I suppose another thing that I I hear about a lot is having boundaries at work and having mm. conversations with people trying to set boundaries. I hear a lot about people saying that they they can't set boundaries with their manager. I mean, what, why is this so hard for us, do you think? And, and do you have any advice for people who are, who are struggling with that? Yeah. I mean, I've really struggled with it in the past, but for me personally, it was because I would basically do this <laughs> insane thing where I would kind of make my managers, this kind of like extreme authority figure, if not a maternal authority figure. And I think sometimes we forget that we are adults working for other adults, not like, like they're not like the president of the United States. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like some really strict, formal, hierarchical way of structuring ourselves. Like, like we make it that way, but it's actually not. And it's actually kind of crazy that we make these people who are just just your manager like just on paper like you just report into them we make them like this huge authority figure in our mind that takes up so much space and that it makes it hard for us to go i have a dentist appointment next tuesday at nine so i'm going to be late and for that to become like a really stressful anxiety-ridden situation where it's like you need to go take care of your teeth like how is that such a big deal so i think getting some perspective (laughs) And on what these structures actually are at work and what they mean and that what is more important, you know, your, your mental health, your self-care, picking up your child from nursery, whatever it is, like that is the priority for your life and being able to communicate that and ask for what it is that you need to be a more productive employee, essentially, shouldn't be such a big thing. So I think if like me in the past, you really struggle with that, I think just trying to get the priorities straight in in your own mind and just kind of going, you know, this actually isn't that big of a deal and I need this thing to happen or I need to ask for this time off or I need to explain to them that them standing over my shoulder and watching me work does not actually make me feel uh, safe or 
productive, that conversation needs to happen in order for me to be the best sort of employee that I can and to be the most productive. So, which is ultimately what they want out of you. So I think, you know, a lot of times we kind of get stuck in this idea that, well, our boss should just know. Why do I have to ask for this thing? Why do I need to set this boundary? Like if they weren't so crap, they would just know. And then existing in like this kind of anger and resentment that they just don't know and haven't been able to read your mind. Like managers, even the worst ones, they're just people, right? Like they can't read your mind. Like they're probably doing the best they can, which is a lot of times not good enough, but they're just trying to do the best they can. And so expecting them to just know that you need X, Y, or Z isn't helpful. So I think kind of, I don't want to say getting over yourself, but kind of working through that, that anxiety, getting that perspective and just being like, right, I'm going to have to have this difficult conversation with them and it's going to be sweaty and it's going to be a bit nerve wracking, but ultimately it has to happen in order for you to kind of get what you want to be able to work better and to have a better work-life mental health balance. It has to happen, right? So I think, thinking about what it is that you actually want and why you need it can really help fuel the motivation to have a difficult conversation. Because if you don't set boundaries at work, it makes it impossible, I think, to have any sort of balance. And it's hard, particularly if you're working in a more toxic working environment, particularly if your boss does not have any boundaries, because I think everything kind of stems from them. So if they're, you know, making phone calls at 7 p.m. or later or working really early and then working really late, it can make it really kind of awkward to be like, excuse me, uh, that's not the way that I work and I need to find a better way of, of doing things. It's hard. Like, that's the thing. Like, I say it so many times in the book, and I've said it so many times when I've been speaking to other people about the book is like this kind of really simple, boring stuff, but just having a difficult conversation can really transform your working experience. I think that's a great, a great point about not expecting people to read our minds. We have to get clear on what we need and what we want and actually express that, even if it's difficult. And, yeah, I'm sure lots of the time it's when we say it and we we get it out, it's not going to be as bad as we thought it was going to be. Um, I think very, very often we, we turn it into a bigger thing. I remember always getting really nervous when I was sick to ring in to tell my manager I was sick. It's always yeah. that thing of like, they're not going to believe me. Well, yes. you can't really control that. So, but yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's uh, but yeah. Getting, getting clear on what you want. We're not very good. We're not very good actually at knowing what we need and what we want quite often. I think no. we're not really taught how to listen to ourselves and how to actually even know what that is, let alone express it. So yeah, Absolutely. it is a hard thing. Basically it is a hard thing. But um, I think that's, I mean, that right there, I think is at the heart of so much of our work stress actually. And so much of just stress in our lives is not being taught. I think especially as women to, acknowledge our own desires and acknowledge and accept what it is that we want and then ask for it is so hard. Yeah. 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 And I, I wanted to know, how do you, you know, personally take care of your mental health? Are there certain practices that you have or things that you do to, to take care of yourself? Yeah. I mean, that is a big thing. Uh, <laughs> it, I think the biggest thing that I've done is I mentioned I, I started going into therapy. So I've been in, I've been in a therapy with the same psychotherapist for the last six and a half years, um, which is the 
one of the biggest, best decisions I've made for myself. And it's one of the most important relationships in my life um, that has made a, a huge difference in the way that I live, the way that I think about myself, the way that I, the way that I work. I think particularly when I was going through some of the difficult stuff that I write about in the book related to my work, being in therapy at the time was the huge game changer for me because it really helped show that you don't have a work life and a life life. You have you and you exist in all of it. You are the the common denominator through everything and being able to kind of think of myself as a whole person, as a whole being that exists in all these different capacities and is not compartmentalized um, was was very helpful and a, and a big challenge for me personally. I think also accepting that um, the way that you look after yourself changes. So for me, I have like a very boring self-care checklist that I mentioned in the book and that I, especially when I lost my job at the pool, that I had to kind of really closely pay attention to. And it's just boring stuff like, have you washed your face? Have you done any yoga recently? How much cheese are you eating? How much Netflix have you been watching today? That's helpful. But then I think acknowledging that it never ends and that it can be very boring and tedious when it comes to taking care of yourself and your mental health, that's the reality of it. Like therapy's hard. Therapy's really hard. Looking after yourself every single day is really difficult. And the more intense things get. So personally for me right now, I had a baby three weeks ago. I'm in a pandemic. My family is in another country. I haven't been able to see them for a year and a half. And my father passed away the day after I brought my baby home from the hospital. So I've had a very full-on intense sort of assault <laughs> mm. on pretty much every aspect of my life and every aspect of, of my uh, emotions. So I have had to ask for help. I have an amazing partner who is, uh, my husband has been so, so helpful. I've been really honest about what's going on with um, my friends and my family and have you know, people go, how can I help? And I've had to actually identify a way that they could help and ask for it, which has been hard. So I think um, overall, when it comes to looking out for yourself, it's the boring, tedious stuff and it's the hardest parts of Whatever is kind of most, for me, one of the most difficult things is to ask for help. And I've had, I've had no choice but to ask for help over and over and over again these last few weeks. So I think, yeah, it's, I think just acknowledging that it, it changes and it can be boring is kind of the most important thing that, that I've learned. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That thing about knowing what you what help you need and saying I need this help specifically because mm. we might we might offer help to people but actually yeah we don't necessarily know what they need or how to support them and actually if if we can figure out what that is and what we need and ask for that then we can actually receive receive that help yeah and sometimes there's nothing anyone can do and that's even harder I think it's it's like <laughs> getting to the point where you can you identify what it is that you want and being able to ask for it and then having to accept one that sometimes the people you're asking for that thing from, they might not be able to provide it or they might not have the capacity to, or they may not be able to hold that space for you. And then also sometimes if someone offers help and you know that the thing you actually need, no one can give you, or there's not a, there's not actually a service that someone else can provide for you. 
that kind of disappointment and realization of, oh, actually, no one can help with this thing but me, or it's not a thing that is even possible to be helped with. That's kind of like the next more painful stage of identifying what it is that you need and being able to ask for it and then kind of dealing with the disappointment that can come on the other side of that as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. How many times have we wished we could take someone's pain away, but you know, quite sometimes there is nothing that we can do and we just yeah. have to get through a horrible time. Yeah. Well, I wondered, was there anything final that you wanted to share with people listening or any other thing about the book that you wanted to share before we, before we kind of wrap it up? Yeah, I think ultimately I wrote this book because, well, firstly, I selfishly needed to process <laughs> some of the stuff that I'd been through from a working perspective. But ultimately, I just I just wanted to, if I could even just help alleviate one person's work stress and help give them a little bit more perspective or direction with what to do next or how to get out of that that bad situation. That was my, my main hope uh, for this book. And I, I really just hope that people, regardless of whether or not they read it, but just throughout this whole really, really tough working situation, I hope that people have been able to identify better what it is that that they want and kind of get to a point where they can ask for it and uh, imagine a, a better working situation for themselves kind of post-pandemic. Because I think so many people have just been suffering so much. And so many people have lost their jobs and so many people just, you know, haven't been able to work from home and have had to kind of go out and put themselves at risk uh, to help others. So I just, yeah, I feel hopeful that on the other side of all this, people will have a um, better work-life harmony. And if my book can help with that, wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much for everything you shared. The book is called How to Work Without Losing Your Mind. And it's so, so good. I recommend everyone goes out and buys it. Is there anything you want to share about where people can find out more about you, website or any social media or anything like that that you wanted to share? Sure. Yeah. So my my website is um, katesevilla.com. So that's C-A-T-E-S-E-V-I-L-L-A.com. To learn more about the book, you can go to katesevilla.com forward slash book. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at katesevilla. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much, Chloe. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.